Welcome to Dental Brain Crops. Here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about a tendency that some people have. And if we were on a call together, I'd be asking you some questions. And of course, I won't be able to hear your answers, but that's not really important because what's important is that you hear your answers and that you decide whether you like your answers enough to hang on to them. So the first thing I want to do is take you back to a place before you were a dentist, when you were thinking about what your life would be like as a dentist. What were you most looking forward to? What did you think it would feel like to be a doctor? And now that you are one, how closely do those things match to what you thought they would be? And as you think about your answers to those questions, I want to introduce some aspects of comparison that enter our minds and our lives. Comparing ourselves to ourselves is a common thing, and it can be a bit of a gray area because there are times that comparing our growth or our production from one week to the next can be helpful to gauge where we're at, what we're doing well, and what we need to do differently. But then there's this other facet of comparison to ourselves that isn't useful. It's where you take something you've done well or are capable of doing well, and you take that good thing or that potential to do good and use it as a weapon against a light against a less productive or less successful experience. And you can feel the difference because looking at last week and noticing that you created more of the results you prefer than you did this week is neutral no matter what it is. But let's take an example to illustrate it. Let's say you've got a goal to do 100 push-ups straight. And last week you did 50 push-ups and you noticed that this week your longest set was 45 push-ups five less than what you did last week and less than half of your target set. That number 45 is neutral. The number from last week, 50 is neutral. The fact that 45 is less than 50 is also neutral. So in looking at the data, you have some options. And if you need some help in the push-up arena, our oldest son recently finished a book on how to become proficient at push-ups. But workout to workout, week to week, the number you get to, giving it your all, is neutral. You can look at the math of it. You're going from 50 to 45 with a goal of reaching 100. And with that, you can do a little discovery on what may have been different on the 50 week. Look at the contributing factors, maybe diet, maybe sleep, maybe workload, maybe days worked. You can make a hypothesis on what you did well and what you can do differently to get more in your sets and move closer to your goal of 100. Or you can take those neutral numbers and apply meaning to them. You could decide it means you're getting weaker, that you're never going to get to 100 push-ups straight, that you picked a bad time in your life for this goal. You could decide that 50 is good enough because 100 is really pretty lofty and not really necessary. You could decide to quit doing push-ups and spend more time than you planned on something else that you feel more control over, like electronics or shopping or eating or drinking. And we do this as humans. We take things that don't have any meaning underneath them, no hidden meanings, and we decide to make them a part of a story. A lot of times, the story is a familiar theme that keeps coming up. So if you're used to telling yourself that you're not strong, then the 45 push-ups will turn into evidence that you're not. 
If you tell yourself that you aren't good at sticking to exercise routines, then the 45 push-ups becomes a convenient reason to quit working towards 100. If your common theme is that you're not as good as the next person, then you'll be acutely turned into your friends and family when they talk about strength exercises, and you'll decide where your 45 push-ups, 50 max so far, puts you in the workout hierarchy. But 45, 50, 100, they're really only numbers and they can be used to quantify good things, your efforts, your progress, your path to achieving your goal. They can be used to help you adjust as needed. Now, I touched on this a moment ago when I said that you may tune into other people's strength and ability, but that's a huge thing that happens. And it happens a lot with people in general, and it happens a lot in this industry. I'm talking about comparing of each other. We compare ourselves to our peers. We compare our peers to each other. And more often than not, it's unkind, critical, and offers little or no support for the person being deemed the lesser, the less successful, the less experienced, the less popular, the less specialized, the less polished, whatever. I don't need to spell it out for you. You know what I'm talking about. Measuring yourself against other people or measuring other people against each other is not beneficial. And it's a tricky thing to catch because it can happen so naturally. We're thinkers, we're analyzers. So we notice something and our brains automatically start figuring out where to put that information in some sort of hierarchical arrangement. We do this with how much money people have or seem to have, what things they buy, where and how often they travel, how good of a doctor we think they are or aren't. All things that are first of all neutral, And secondly, not an indication of their worth as a person at all. And it's a downer. Realize it or not, when you participate in comparing, whether that's comparing yourself to what you think you should be, comparing yourself to others, or comparing people to each other, you're weighing yourself down. You are preoccupied with what is often just a perception, not even necessarily the truth of a situation, like doing 45 push-ups might just mean that it was a bit colder that week. So really your body did more work than when you achieve 50. But whether or not your assessment's true, you're weighed down by the thought power being spent putting people, including and especially yourself, into a ranking system that has no real utility in your life. And if it does, help me understand. But if we were talking right now and I asked you to explain to me the value in your life of knowing the complete financial status of you and your 20 closest friends so we could see where each of you ranks in comparison to the others, how would you answer me? How would you explain how that knowledge is useful? Maybe to you it is, or maybe it's just fun to know, or maybe it gives you a target to aim for. But oftentimes, the categories we put people in, including ourselves, or the way that we rank people, including ourselves, isn't conducive to the results we're trying to achieve. And I'm not saying that achievements need to be some secret or shouldn't be celebrated. I'm a huge fan of enjoying the process of working toward a goal and enjoyment upon arrival. But comparison and the slippery slope you can find yourself heading down, spending time and energy in a way that doesn't feel good, isn't kind to yourself or your friends, and it doesn't get you closer to where or who you want to be. So let's talk more about why our brains do this. Why is this happening? 
Well, there are a couple of reasons, and I want to talk about each so you can solve for them as they show up. The first I mentioned a minute ago, and that's the brain's tendency to organize information. So stimuli comes in, the brain figures out where to put it, makes connections to other pieces of similar information, and before you realize it, you've made a comparison, drawn a conclusion about yourself or someone else in relation to yourself or someone else. So if you notice that happening, you notice yourself observing and then thinking on something that smells like comparison, you can, if you want to, simply acknowledge the thought, then direct your brain to do another activity. It will respond to your direction. That might literally sound like, hmm, I noticed this about myself or another person, which is the acknowledgement, but now brain, I want you to focus on how we can increase case acceptance this month. That's the redirection. And we do this anyway, probably on a regular basis. We notice something that seems enticing and we redirect our minds to the things we really want to focus on. I'm suggesting that the brain has deemed ranking people and comparing people as enticing and that when you notice it happening, you can redirect it. Now, another reason that people tend to compare a lot especially people who are highly trained and experienced at making thorough assessments, is that by function, the brain latches onto or takes special note of anything new or different. It's constantly scanning our environments, looking for things that aren't cookie cut or as expected. It does this as a matter of protection because if there's something dangerous or unordinary that could cause you pain or trouble, it wants to identify the threat and get you to safety. A noble cause for sure. And it's a helpful function, especially if you're hiking the Grand Canyon or rafting white waters. But on a daily basis, this mechanism, this tendency can fire off needlessly. So you're at lunch with a friend who works in your community, maybe even someone who works at your practice, and he mentions his production last month. By default, the brain is going to do the things we just talked about. It's going to organize the information put it into a rank, and undoubtedly compare your production last month to his. And then it's going to determine the level of threat that this other doctor is. And I want to pause here because this is a spot where I see some needless and lingering discomfort with some people. So let me ask you, is another doctor's performance a threat to you? And there's no wrong answer here, and there are many different ways to look at what I'm asking, but really think about how you'd process that information about a peer producing more than you. I want to offer to you that the information alone or the fact that he may have had a higher producing month is not a threat to you. It's a fact and a set of two numbers, yours and his. Now, what you do with this information and your attitude behind it will drastically impact your energy and resourcefulness in handling it. You could spend a bunch of time thinking about his numbers versus yours, figure out where other people landed last month, what people at other practices are producing, put all things in a ranking order, and decide that it means something about you, your potential, and your likelihood of reaching your goals. 
Or you could take this information, notice that his last month was higher than yours and decide where you want to redirect your mind. And I'm just throwing out options here, but if you're working for the same practice or in the same community, you might consider picking his brain about what he's doing to see if there's an area of improvement for you. You might direct your mind to think of ways you can increase your production this month using his last month as evidence that it's possible for you to improve. There's just so many ways you can use this information that isn't comparison driven, but enriching for you. And that's my recommendation when it comes to comparison, that you consciously shift from comparing to enriching. Now, the last thing I want to mention in regard to brain function and a tendency to compare is habit, patterned neural pathways. Brain programming is one of my passions, and in studying it over the years, I've learned a lot about the subconscious defaults we program into our minds, and one of those is a knee-jerk reaction to size people up against each other. And we're a competitive community. So sometimes this patterning, this default way of thinking about people and information is something we've been doing for a long time. And it may have served us well in some situations, but in general, as a matter of emotional intelligence, the type of comparisons we've been discussing today aren't ones that maximize growth or potential. I suggest that they actually hold us back in some big ways. But here's the good news. Patterns and habits are made up of repeated occurrences. Once you realize that you have a tendency to do something or respond in a way that is not aligned with who you want to be, you can solve for it. And you'll know which things don't align because when you engage in that sort of behavior, it'll stand out to you. It won't feel good, even if it provides some temporary, and I'm going to suggest false, elevation. So sift for those things so you can decide what to do with them. You can approach a change in the ways that are best fitting to you, but some options are interrupting the pattern. Notice that it's happening and stopping yourself from completing the process. So you're sitting with a friend and you notice you're comparing people and you just stop. You change the subject. You redirect the conversation. Something that requires your mind to deviate from the established pattern of participating in comparison. Or create a new pattern. Now that you're aware you have this tendency, establish a way that you want to respond differently. And it'll take practice, but it can definitely be done. Maybe you decide that when you notice yourself start to put people into categories or however comparison shows up for you, that you're going to stand up and hop on one foot, or you're going to mention three amazing qualities about that person or group, or that you're going to identify a good quality that you and the person or group you're comparing share. It's your new pattern. Make it what you want. Do something with your newfound awareness because you want to and because it feels good. It feels good to uplift yourself and others. It feels good to exercise restraint when it would be easy to pick someone or something apart. It feels good to advance to a level of emotional responsibility where it's no longer a restraint to choose not to participate in behaviors that used to be habitual. This is growth and evolvement. Now, the last thing that I want to say about all of this is to be mindful, especially at first, 
of ideas your mind might offer you that are sneaky ways to go from one habit of comparison to another. And here's what I mean. If you frequently compare people based on, and I'm just going to pick something and let you fill in the blank with where you're comparing, but let's say you have a lot of thoughts about the way people dress. And now you're changing that pattern. You're onto it and you're making an effort to notice when it shows up and you're interrupting or redirecting it. You might find that you're tempted to judge people who still critique other people's clothing. They're still doing the thing that you're changing or the thing that you've changed. Or maybe you notice yourself thinking about how great you are now compared to how you used to handle some things in regard to noticing other people's clothes. And I know this sounds silly because we're talking about clothing, but hear the message I'm trying to share. Other people, lots of other people are going to continue comparing themselves and other people for their whole lives. You leveling up in this area, you choosing to take ownership over where you spend your thought power and how you direct your energy is about you. And the incredible and wonderful benefit of you advancing to a more emotionally mature plane is that everyone around you, your family, your friends, your team, your patients, everyone benefits from being around a person, you, who's obtained and exercises advanced emotional responsibility. So to end like we began with questions, I want to ask you two things. When changing a habit, like the tendency to compare, who needs to initiate that change? And who is the only person that can sustain that change for you? If you answered you to both questions, you're onto something great. We'll talk soon. I appreciate you joining me for today's episode. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit dentallife.coach for access to additional coaching tools, as well as more episodes to help you create the dental life you truly desire. Mm -hmm.